Today's talk is a church on mission, and uh, I, this is actually continuing a series that we're in right now of messages on the church, what the church is to be like today. And I'm kind of addressing the question, what is the scope of missions and why is it important both globally and in this local body of Christ? So there's our, our thesis question for today. And uh, along the way, as I attempt to examine this question and, and speak about uh, the church globally and locally, uh, I'm going to share some examples from uh, Kim and Mine's 20-year uh, uh, experience in missions in China, all right? So uh, hopefully we can get it all done in uh, the time allotted to me. Okay. All right. So uh, 20 years in 45 minutes. No, traditionally, missions is considered to be the means of fulfilling the Great Commission to take the gospel out into the world. And so I want to take a detailed, a more detailed look at the Great Commission. Or actually, there's lots of commissions in the Bible, Great Commissions in the New Testament from Jesus. And uh, let's look at some of them. Let's look at all of them, all right? So uh, the first one we're going to see is going to be in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. And so uh, I invite you to read the screen or look it up in your Bible. It says, 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Anybody ever heard that verse before? One person has. I saw a hand kind of go up. In that. Okay. All right. But I heard some yeses. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a common verse, but, you know, you, uh, it's Jesus is talking to his followers here, and it's, his followers are described as some are worshipers and some are doubters. You ever find yourself in either one of those categories, depending on what Sunday it is? You're a worshiper and sometimes you're a doubter. But they're, uh, they're being sent out by the one who's described as the one who reigns over heaven and earth. So let me read out of uh, Philippians, a great, another really good passage I really enjoy. And uh, it says in Philippians 2, 1, 9 to 11, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So the one who commissions, who sends out, is the one who is over all. Over every, every, every power, every person, everything, that's Jesus. So we are sent out by someone who is authoritative, okay? So, and this is the ultimate authority is sending us out. So that's a, that's a good thing to do. Um, that's, that's a good thing to be sent out by somebody who's got the power to back up his commission, isn't it? It really is, okay? So um, when they're sent out, it says um, they're, do, they're part of several different things that they're doing. And uh, they're sent out to make disciples, okay? We often think of this commission in terms of strictly evangelism, but it's not. It's, uh, evangelism is the first step, but uh, what happens is that uh, we're called to make disciples, and part of the process of discipling is baptizing and teaching and going to nations, those three things, baptizing, teaching, going to nations. And by nations, uh, what's really it's understood to be uh, cultural linguistic groups, okay? So you look at a map right now and you see nations. Those are political co constructs of, of humans. Uh, but in those nations are filled with different peoples that have 
different cultures and backgrounds and languages. And those are the ones that we're being sent to. So the authoritative one is sending us to these groups of different groups of people all over the world to disciple and by baptizing and teaching. All right. So uh, another important point is that Jesus is always going to be with us. He's going to be with the disciples. So, you know, Jesus is addressing disciples here, but, you know, it's trickled down through the ages that uh, fortunately this commission has been obeyed, has been followed, and we sit here today as disciples or disciple wannabes or interested maybe, but we're here today because Jesus was with them and he's with us always till the end of the age. So authoritative person giving a commission, backing up with power, giving us things to do, and he's always with us. All right, so that uh, we, the very promises he makes to the disciples in Matthew, he makes to us as well. So uh, there's always this question that comes up when you have, to somebody like myself and Kim who had actually uprooted ourselves and went to another continent, another hemisphere, uh, went to the east, that kind of hemisphere. And uh, so the question is, how does that happen? How does that, how does that commissioning work specifically in your in a person's life and so uh, i just have three little points i just want to say um and one one thing that we always said was uh the harder the call the harder the or the bigger the task the louder the call which is great because uh you can always sometimes you're out there you're thinking what in the world am i doing here and you think oh yeah oh yeah i remember i was being commissioned i remember that call so the uh Three things that involved in our call, I'm not saying it's in everybody's call, but it's in our call. When God said, I want you to go over there, uh, he didn't just burst in with that. He burst, he, uh, he had led us step by step to a point where we were in a point where we knew a big transition was coming in our life, and we spent a lot of time praying about it. We met every day to pray, and we, we just we didn't know what God wanted us to do. We just know we're just living in the expectant way that he was going to call us to do something. And going to be a missionary in anywhere was not in our mind. Going to China was not in our mind. Um, you know, it's, we said, uh, we, we, so we said, well, we don't know what to, play, to pray about. So we said, well, we might as well just put out our some little desires that we kind of have. And so we said, well, we'd like to go to a... We like mountains. We like to go to mountainous area. We like Mexican food, so we like some place that has chili, maybe. Uh, what else did we say? I don't know. Anyway, dry, dry weather, whatever. We were living in Mississippi at the time, and so we were looking forward to dry weather. So sure enough, God, uh, so we were really seeking to hear his voice. And so living a life of expectation, you, we had no debt. We, did, we actually owned nothing, really, except our cars. Uh, we were living on the very edge of the edge, expecting God to do something. And uh, then uh, he did. He, uh, he through uh, uh, one kind of major weekend, he spoke to, to Kim and to me independently. And then we got together and realized he was speaking to us. And so uh, that was pretty exciting. And, but, you know, it's not enough to, uh, to hear that. You have to act on it. So then there was a step-by-step process. But going from not knowing anything to getting off a plane in China was a six-month period. So it's not, I mean, you hear these missionary stories, oh, I've been called since I was a child, and yeah, that's great, but it doesn't have to be that way. And it doesn't have to be the China either, but anyway, that's what happened to us. So just, just to let you know, there, there's a sense of mystery and excitement in it, but then there's a sense of, you know, I'm an agronomist. I'm a soil scientist. You know, that's, where does this come from? It doesn't come from anything that I prepared to do but God prepared me through my whole experience. And uh, so 
I'd like to say I'm just kind of a, we're just kind of normal people, but uh, you do have to live with in expectation with expecting ears. So there's uh, the next com- great commission is found in Mark chapter 13, verse 10. And this is a kind of an indirect commission. This is, a, uh, this, is, uh, this is in a passage where Jesus is talking about the end times. And so this is, a, is the Great Commission. In fact, he says, and the good news must be first proclaimed to all the nations. So that's the, all those linguistic uh, ethnic groups that I talked about. And uh, that's going to happen. It needs to happen before the end times come. So do I have a map? Oh, I have a map. Okay. So uh, this is just a, a map I got off the Internet. And... Uh, it says there are more people living inside this circle than outside of it. Okay, so uh, interestingly speaking, we were in that circle. We didn't plan to go there, but we ended up in that circle. And a lot of the nations that need to hear the gospel are still inside that circle. And uh, so let me talk a little, in our experience what that was like. The, uh, in China, there are eight different dialects, major, major dialects. And each has their own subdialects and their regional variations. So there's lots of linguistic groups. And uh, some of those, all the languages, some of them are so different that they almost classify as totally different uh, dialects from one another. And then there are, in China, 56 minority, they call them minority nationalities. They're non-Chinese peoples that live in China. 56 groups. They all have their own customs. They all have their own language. They're totally different in every kind of way. They're not Chinese people. They look different. They act different. And of these 56 groups, 25 of them lived in the province that we lived in, which is, uh, can you put an arrow on, can you put your cursor on there and move it to the center of that circle? Can you see a cursor up there? All right, okay. Come down, uh, go up a little bit, see that dark place a little bit up right there? Okay, that's about where we were right there. Ding. Okay, thank you. I was going to bring a pointer and I forgot. All right, so um, we lived in that province for 18 years. It's called Yunnan province. And... uh, if we were looking at a map of China, a flat map, China looks like a chicken, like a, like a rooster. And if a rooster could lay an egg, that's where we lived. Okay. So uh, one of these 25 groups, yeah, you can't, it doesn't look like a rooster in that picture, but anyway, it does if you look at a flat map. Um, so one of the minority nationalities that lived there was called the Bai people. And there's like 1.8 million Bai people that live in Yunnan province. And uh, we worked with a woman who was a, a by person, and she, she had become a believer very young, and we got, she came into our life when she was very young, and um, we mentored her for years, and she uh, um, eventually became a trainer of translators, and she would train translation teams of local believers to translate the Bible into their own language, which is a really cool thing, and one of the things they did was they translated, uh, well, the Bai language had been translated, uh, had been put into to the Bible, but they, there was this project. Have you ever heard of the Jesus film? Okay, the Jesus film is, uh, was originally put out by Campus Crusade for Christ. It's, been tra- it's, it's the gospel of, of Luke, period. I mean, that's the movie. It's the gospel of Luke. It's a great movie. It's, and uh, it's been translated into many languages and had just been translated by a group of people into the Bai language. And they got permission to write two songs for an intro and an outro of the movie, which is, hadn't really been done before. And so some of the Bible believers wrote these songs, and Natalie came to us, and she said, uh, we would like to record this song. Can you do that for us? Because we've had Natalie in on a bunch of recording projects and this and that. 
So we said, so we went to her, this village, the center of the Bai Nation, which is way up in the mountains in the middle of nowhere. And uh, we uh, took our recording equipment, and they said, we Bai people uh, have this traditional Bai instrument that we always use in our music, but none of us know how to play it. And it's a, it was a three-stringed instrument called a sanhu, all right? Well, Kim, I don't know if you, you realize this, but she's a whisperer of stringed instruments, okay? So she, she got ding-dong, okay, so she had it figured out, and she, she uh, played the music, and they sang the music, and we recorded it. Really cool, huh? Pretty exciting stuff. And, uh, but unfortunately, we didn't realize that this, this instrument, I think it was some kind of antique, too. It was, just, it was pretty incredible, weird thing. Um, had been finished, the wood had been finished with lacquer from the Chinese lacquer tree. Now, the Chinese lacquer tree has an alkaloid in it that's similar to that of poison ivy. And Kim is hyper allergic to poison ivy. So she got this stuff on her and uh, didn't realize it until we were on this very long, arduous bus ride back home when it started breaking out on her arms and on her neck and her face and everywhere. And it was by the time we got back, her skin was just literally weeping. Um, So just to say that unexpected things happen when you go (laughs) to the nations, okay? So, um, but I think just to bring out the point that these translation teams were so wonderful to see how, how, uh, and part of what God called us to was to help um, facilitate the work that local believers were doing to help them to provide some resources they need to reach their own people. Okay, moving along to another great commission verse. Mark, in, it's in Mark, uh, verse 9 of chapter 14. And this is after the woman breaks the vial of uh, ointment and anoints Jesus' feet. And Jesus says, um, I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will be also told in memory of her. This selfless act of worship was to become part of the gospel presentation everywhere in the world. So no matter where you go, where the gospel's been proclaimed, people know this story. This is part, it's part of, of, the, of the, the volume of, of uh, the gospel, of the gospel truth. And so I want to share this, this experience, that, and I know you won't get it, really, because you weren't there. <laughs> but I just want to try and give you a vision for what this means when the gospel is proclaimed to every nation, okay? So um, we went, ended up in this really remote area along the uh, China's border with uh, Myanmar, which is also maybe you known as, as Burma. And there was this missionary that went there in 1911 or something, and his name was James Fraser. And he shared the gospel with the Lisu people that lived at these high mountains. And they, uh, there was a move of God in their midst, and a, and a church began to develop there. And he was a bit unique of the missionaries of the day in that he did not bring outside resources in to that church. You know, it was very common for a lot of outside money to come in, and a lot of people became Christians because they wanted to get on the cash. But uh, he didn't do that. What he told them was, you need to look to God for this. You need to pray about your needs. You need to pray, seek God for what you need. But he didn't stop there. He also prayed, and he wrote all these letters back home to his people in Britain and said, pray. And so we had people praying all over for um, these people, these Lisu people and the needs that they have had at the time. And what happened was it built a really strong dependence on God. So when the time came that uh, 
the communists took over China and they kicked all the missionaries out. And a lot of churches really suffered because there went their means of support. These guys didn't. They continued to flourish and grow and uh, because that they were trusting God and God was providing for them. And they, uh, by the 1990s, actually the Chinese government ex- itself acknowledged that as m- many as 90% of the Lisu people were Christians. And it was, a t- it, was, it was the most Christianized society in the world. This is just an amazing thing. You could, you could put something valuable on the side of the road and go off into the jungle for a while and come back. Days later, it would still be there. There was, you know, it was, it was just this revolutionary kind of society that we never had. And uh, so un- under times of intense persecution, they, um, the church there just exploded in a way that uh, didn't happen in other places. Although over the years, the church in China did grow because of persecution, which reminds me that next Sunday is Voice of the Martyrs International Day of Prayer, which we're going to be, Mark's going to be talking about, and we're going to be involved with that to some extent. So going back to my story, now that was James Frazier back in the early 1900s. So we were there, and we had this international school that we had helped start, and we decided to take the kids up into the mountains on a school trip and to help the farmers with their spring planting. So these mountains, they go up to like 17,000 feet, and uh, the village is generally around eight to 10,000 feet, somewhere up there. So we climbed up these mountains and uh, to... Um, going to the villages, and it was really incredible. So, so this is what's incredible, is in some mountain hilltop, there's a church sitting there, and there's people singing and praising God in there, so far from anything from our experience, and even further from your experience. The gospel was there exhibiting fruit in people's lives, and that was really incredible. So what we, uh, what we had to do was help them plant their corn. Now, you plant corn there, not with a machine, because it's mountainous villages, things and stuff. You plant it by hand. Now, you think somebody like me, you know, planting corn by hand, you know, that's hard work to bend over and put it in the ground and that. But good news there, the, the fields were so steep that you didn't have to bend over. <laughs> you could stand there and put the seed in the ground. You know, it's just, it was, you know, I'm a farm guy and boy, and that just, you know, that was too weird. Now, you had to be careful, though, because if you tripped... <laughs> you would roll down the that roll down the mountain until you reached hopefully the uh, the forest down there and not the edge of the of the cliff. But uh, so yes, like hi students, get out there and plant corn. You know, it's like did you sign your waiver? No. Anyway, uh, so we were in this one village planting corn or something, and I heard a sound, and it was music, and it sounded. Familiar. It was in a language I didn't know. It was in a Lisu language. And it was a hymn. I think it was Amazing Grace, something like that. Anyways, a hymn I recognized coming, wafting its way across, wafting its way across the fields from this farmhouse way over there. And I was just struck by it. That here in the middle of nowhere, remotest place ever, was the gospel where lives centered around the gospel and uh, music of praise music going out from these people's house. And it was just a really incredible thing to see how Jesus promised his, his commission and then I will be, be with you as you go happened. It's real. It really happens. It was an incredible thing. Uh, and so what does this have to do with the woman? Well, I know those, that part of their gospel tradition there was to read the Bible and they would read stories like this woman who worshipped God in this uh, sacrificial way. So uh, what could we do there? The gospel's already there, right? Why do we need to be there? We don't speak Lisu. You know, they don't speak 
Lisa, they don't speak Chinese, they don't speak English, you know, how do, what do we do? Well, we got to talking with, through a bunch of translators and this and that, with the church leaders, and they said, you know, we have a problem in that we are losing our youth to, out, to modernity coming in from outside, and how do we get them involved? And what we ended up doing was teaching them to act out Bible stories. How about that? What's, what's you know, cutting-edge technology, acting out Bible stories. They'd never thought of it. And so, you know, these kids, were, we were able to act out Bible stories, learn Bible stories, learn how to do that and go do it, be involved in church life at their level, something they'd never thought of. And that's just something that just kind of dribbled off of us as we were there. Um, and, you know, I use these points to say that, you know, sometimes in that calling to take the gospel, you end up doing some pretty simple things that are pretty revolutionary. There was this uh, a woman to, who was a missionary to those, those people groups in the 1940s. Her name was Isabel Kuhn, and she wrote lots of books which were really influential for people reading that caused people to become missionaries, to feel a call to that part of the world. And uh, so that was in the 1940s. When we were there, there was this old lady who had been a little girl when that woman had been a missionary there. And she said, I don't understand all this fuss about that woman. All she did was sit around writing you know, she, what did she write? She wrote books that were used of God to call many other people into the mission field. So um, there's a sense of the things who we are, the things we do, are the things God can use anywhere. Uh, there's one final great commission in Mark 16. I don't have the verse, but it's, uh, it's in a dispute, the end of Mark in a disputed uh, passage there. But it says, then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. So that's the, that's, that's, uh, the great the commissions in Mark. Now, one of my favorite commissions is in Luke, all right? And in Luke chapter 24, it says, Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, This is what is written, the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. You know, in this great commission, the emphasis is not necessarily on Jesus, but on the Word, God's Word. Uh, We're sent forth... uh, by Jesus, but we're empowered by the Holy Spirit in fulfillment of biblical prophecy. So here again, it says, this is what was, is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So the, the, the calling, the sending of God is based on the, the entire prophetic scriptures all the way back to, to, to the begin, beginnings of the Bible. And um, so what this really emphasizes is that we need to know our Bibles. You know, if we're being called and we are being called, being sent, we need to know what the Bible says about Jesus. And we need to know that uh, we need to understand that uh, what it means to what it meant by when it says Messiah and what it meant for the Messiah to die and to rise and uh, what it means for uh, repentance, for forgiveness of sins. Uh, We need to understand these things. And so that really raises a good question for us. Are we actively studying God's words so that we can tell others about Christ that are written throughout the Bible? You know, it's really powerful when you are able to share with somebody that 
it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus' death and resurrection, but it goes back even further, all back all the way to the beginning of time, where God's involvement in, we say, redemptive history, and it's, it's uh, the final uh, part of that history was Jesus' death. So um, it's, um, you know, we, that message needs to be preached, though, and needs to be told by someone who is a follower of Jesus. Um, and it becomes a powerful proclamation. It says that, uh, that uh, he's sending us what he promised, and that would be the Holy Spirit. So in being empowered by the Holy Spirit, living a life under the influence and direct and control of the Holy Spirit enables us to, to understand the prophetic message and to speak it forth. And so that's, uh, that's something I really like about that passage in Luke there. Um, then the... Uh, in, in here it says that the, his death, resurrection, and call to repentance is to be proclaimed to all the nations, and this proclamation would start in Jerusalem. And I'll come back to that. But let's go on to the commission in the Gospel of John. And we have uh, John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father sent me, I also send you. Very simple. Little commission there. Jesus says, Peace to you. I'm, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. So we are to go forth in Jesus' name, and we're to go in peace. So first of all, I want to talk, say a couple things about peace. One is that uh, history is filled with forced conversions, and Christians get a bad name for that. And guess what? Forced conversions, they're not biblical. And we need to say, hey, that's not biblical. That's not what Jesus, uh, that's not God's intent, and that's not what Jesus did. And um uh, as we, but, you know, as we follow Christ and know him and know who he is and understand his message and look at his life, that helps keep us on task. Because I know sometimes you just want to wrap your hands around somebody's neck and shake some sense into them. doesn't work. doesn't work. Uh, how did Jesus do that? Well, how did Jesus proclaim the gospel to people? You know, he lived it, right? He lived it. Uh, he, was, uh, he served people. He ministered. Um, so... It's a gospel of, there's no forced conversion. Second thing is, another aspect of peace is, is um, when we go forth to the nations or the cultural linguistic groups, sometimes to the workplace, to school, there's conflict. Uh, there's conflict between us and them. There's conflict between, and sometimes there's conflict among us, right? And uh, they say uh, one of the most contentious group of people are groups of missionaries, because a lot of the, the gifting skills and uh, personality types that make good missionaries make people are groups of, are people who find it difficult to get along with one another. So God, but there's peace in Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, says pe- His peace He will give to you. And so um, then there's one other need for peace, and that's because of trouble. When you be, you go to a, another place, you have trouble. Maybe Monday morning you'll have trouble. You're going to go to a place where there's trouble. So, uh, so I was going to share something about um, the peace God gives in trouble from China. But then I came across uh, a, an opinion article in the Wall Street Journal as of Friday, I think. And uh, it's a, by a guy named Hassan John, and he's a pastor in Nigeria. So I, and this really struck me. I thought I'd share it with you. You know, Nigerian Christianity is under siege from radical is- Islam. And uh, Christians make up about 50% of the people in Nigeria. About 40% are Muslims. And there's 200 million people living in, in Nigeria. 200 million. That's a lot of people. So you can see that uh, as the, by 2015, Nigeria will be the, the third most populous country in the world. 
And so there's this huge, uh, actually, persecution of Christians by uh, Muslims there that's going on right now. And so he writes that he says, uh, pastors in northern and central Nigeria face daunting pressures. Some conduct funerals almost every week for victims, often mass burials. They struggle to answer their parishioners' questions about God's love and justice. Yeah, I think I would too. Why is this happening? So what's their response? Well, what they do, what he's done is, is he, he holds these, basically their secret seminars because if these radical Muslims find out where they are, they send in suicide bombers. So they have these secret um, meetings, and he says, we use five approaches to talk about God and evil. Okay? First, we explain that God made us free to love or hate him. Without that freedom, there would be no love. Second, life does not end on this earth. Third, God is just. Someday there will be judgment, and no evildoer will get away with the evil he has done. Fourth, God is love. That can be hard to believe in this evil time unless we look at Jesus' cross. There God himself suffered at the hands of evil men, and because of it, love was released for the whole world. Fifth, we listen to the testimonies of pastors and other Christians who saw the manifest presence of God in the midst of suffering and were transformed. You know, that's the peace of God, transforming people's lives in the midst of suffering. What a powerful witness it is. Says our seminars have gone well, energizing those who attend and giving many the confidence to die for their faith. Yeah. Okay. So, moving along quickly. Um, and it's, he says here, as a fa- it says here, as the Father sent me, I also send you. Jesus was sent, now we are sent. And, uh, you know, Jesus was sent to die for the sins of the world. We're sent just to proclaim that death. He proclaimed good news uh, and died. We proclaim good news and live as he lived. And how did he live? He, uh, he proclaimed good news to the poor. He walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. He considered the needs of others. He helped others. This is what he's calling us to leave, live life. All right, now let's go on to uh, the last one that I'm going to talk about here, and that's in uh, the first chapter of Acts. In verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What did they witness? Well, if you go back up to the first verse, Luke begins Acts by writing, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. All right, so the point I want to bring up about this commissioning is that, uh, you know, many people think that when you're a missionary, God's going to send you to, and he is, to cultural linguistic groups, and we often think there are going to be an exotic place like China where we went to. Uh, But guess what? We live in a different world, different times than Jesus, and the world's gotten a lot smaller than it was then. And, uh, you know, due to globalization, it's not quite exotic as it used to be. You know, uh, I learned yesterday that Saturday is Chinese go shopping day at Sam's day because I was at Sam's shopping and I ran into all kinds of Chinese people there. You know, the world is coming here now. We don't even have to go to the nations in that way. God's sending them here. And uh, while the, in these family groupings, there's the mother and father, grandmother, grandfather, going around going, Tai Guela, when they saw the prices of everything. There was the, uh, the, uh, the parents who were something to do with the university, and they speak English. You don't have to speak Chinese to have an impact in these Chinese families. Okay, so uh, uh, 
you know, back in the day, Judea and Samaria would weeks, days and weeks away sometimes. But now they're not. You know, we can get on a plane, get in a car, we can be amongst all kinds of people. It's not as dramatic as you might think. So I'm just saying that to say, yeah, it's a dramatic to uproot your life and go someplace. But maybe God's not calling you to that kind of drama. Maybe it's through a visit and then Internet connection or a phone call, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, um, we still have to, to be faithful and we have to uh, realize that the, the truth of verse 8 where it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses. So in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can witness to people close by, farther away, whatever. But we need to know what Jesus did and we need to know what Jesus does. We have to have a testimony. We have to know what he taught and we have to be able to teach that. We must be empowered by the Holy Spirit and we must be in the company of believers. He didn't send people out one by one necessarily. It's, and we found from experience it's best to go as a group, best to be in with fellow believers, a company of believers, fellowship of believers. So in other words, we must be disciples, and we must tell others about the suffering and resurrection of Jesus. We must teach others the things Jesus taught, and we must facilitate the indwelling of the Holy Spirit by teaching people about the kingdom of God. And we also had the ordinances of uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper as things God's given us to, to uh, be part of the discipling process. So, in other words, we must be makers of disciples. We must be disciples and makers of disciples. So let me sh- just briefly share how this worked out for us in China. Uh, because China is not a country that allows missionaries, not because they hate God, it's because they hate groups outside the, the control of the Communist Party. So uh, what, we, what I was involved with was a business. And business, it was a business. We, we felt that we really needed to do true business there and show the world there what it meant to be Christians in business. And so we had this kind of consulting training company. And uh, what it did was it challenged people. We were challenging people that you can be honest and do business in China because Chinese people didn't believe it. And we said, we trust God and we're going to be doing business. And they said, you're going to fail. And we didn't. So that was a great witness. So my question to you is, do you do, you do business honestly and does your life match your words in your business life? Okay, that's part of being going forth to the nation. We uh, taught Christians how to live out their life in a hostile environment. Because, of course, I just learned today from Michelle that um, a whole organization pulled all their people out of China just recently because police got hold of a computer that had everybody's name and address on it, and they pulled them all out. So uh, it's a hostile environment, and we learned how to live in that environment and taught uh, Christians around us. We had Christians working with us about that. And... uh, so do, my question to you is, do people know you are a Christian? Are you using your position to tell and teach about Jesus, even in a hostile environment? So we also were involved with uh, remote villages, helping people learn how to make money and, and providing uh, development opportunities so they could make money. This one village we always went to uh, had a Bible training school. And so we helped uh, facilitate that training school so they could train their young people, how to be pastors in all these villages in that whole mountain area. So we were doing business. And, and uh, my question to you is, can you your, use your skills, talents, and earnings to help those in ministry so that they can do the work God's called them to do, facilitating believers, all right? And then uh, Kim was involved in show business. She had this guy working for him, for her as an agent, and he was a young Christian, and he blared out the gospel everywhere. And so she spent a lot of time 
discipling him and helping him learn how to share the gospel in an appropriate manner. Um, there are some instances where she had some, some major righteous anger conflicts with uh, showed with directors, and uh, the uh, her assistant freaked out and said, "That's not a Christian attitude." And later, he found out that that lady, that lady, she realized she was wrong. Righteous anger caused this Chinese woman to basically bow down before Kim and apologize. And later on, described her as being a kind woman. You know, Kim blasted her in righteous anger, and she described Kim as a kind woman. That's you know, that's the gospel going forward. Um, so, um, do you ask God to give you guidance by His Spirit to speak His truth in dangerous and unjust situations? Um, we learned, you know, because we weren't supposed to be missionaries there, it was a little difficult to sometimes say, ask the question, why are you here in China? But God just gave Kim some real wisdom, and she would tell officials, news reporters, on and on. She said, you know, she said, I'm a Christian. I know you can't print that. I'm a Christian. And I realized that God loves Chinese people, and he's given some of that love for Chinese people for the people of this province, and that's why I'm here. And they would go, ah, oh, and they would tear up because it was such a message that they just loved to receive, that God loved them. They said, we can't print that. We're not going to put it on TV, but thank you for telling us. So that was really wonderful. So um, finally, the last thing was uh, we worked with Christian publishers in Beijing. You know, this the leader of this company came to us and he said, you know, we really appreciate the gospel that you, you Western missionaries brought the gospel, but we can take it from here. This is what he said. It was, it, what a cool thing to hear. We can take it from here and we can take the gospel into China. But what we did was we helped them run their business to, to develop their, their publishing business. And I would write a monthly article in their national magazine about being a Christian husband and a Christian father, and uh, Kim wrote a lot of songs that they could use. They were value songs that they could use in kindergartens, and actually these songs with biblical values went into some public schools. And uh, so just to illustrate that when God sends you to the nations, he uses who you are in ways that you can't ever dream of. So just to conclude, so uh, what's the scope of missions, and how is it important globally in the local body of Christ? Well, I have to testify that it's important because people in the remotest areas came to know and are coming to know Christ and their communities are being transformed in amazing ways. But it's a body of Christ that goes and does that as a body going forth to do that as a group to, uh, to tell others what Jesus, who Jesus is, what he's done, to receive into fellowship those that come to believe on him and to teach them how to teach others and how to uh, live for others. So... Um, an important part of the gospel uh, for us in China, sharing the gospel, was the Lord's Supper. You know, we had churches and homes for years and years, and every Sunday we observed the Lord's Supper. And we did that uh, because we're commanded to do it, but also we wanted to proclaim in a way that went beyond any kind of government control that Jesus died and rose, died for our sins and rose again, and that... Uh, we want to proclaim his death until he comes again. So in, um, we read every, these passages in 1 Corinthians. Uh, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We want to proclaim his death to the powers and principalities that surrounded us because you went to a place like China or Nigeria, any kind of place, uh, 
places in Lubbock, I'm sure. The, the presence of the evil one is what's running that, that system, there, that place. And uh, they're locked down. They're imprisoned by, by the evil one. And we want to proclaim that um, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is the resurrected giver of life. And so we did that every Sunday. And we're going to do that now, today, here. Um, we're going to proclaim to the principalities and powers in this Lubbock area that Jesus is Lord, that he is the one who died for us, who rose for us, has given his spirit to us, and empowers us. So uh, just to remember that, uh, that Last Supper, says, On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, we can do this anywhere. We're doing it here today in Lubbock. We did it in China. We did it in the mountains of Yunnan. They're doing it in Nigeria. Even today, all around the world, people are breaking bread. Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The gospel message is about the new covenant. established in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as we uh, come to the Lord's table, I invite you to come. If you're a disciple of Christ, you're a follower of Christ, you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, please come and share this. Let's share this Lord's Supper together. And proclaim the risen Lord. Let me, and let me give thanks for these elements as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he died and rose for us. And it makes a difference. And uh, I thank you for the privilege I've had to see the difference it makes in the exotic farf areas. And I thank you for the, that I have the privilege of seeing the difference it makes in the people in this room. We praise you uh, for the body of Jesus. We, we give thanks for this bread. We give thanks for this cup. We thank you that we live in a new covenant established by the precious, sinless blood of Christ. And we take these things today in remembrance and thankfulness. Amen.